You're listening to the Deep in the Tank podcast with Chris Kidwell and Sam Glover. Sam, I feel like it's deja vu all over again today because we are going to start at least by discussing two more Supreme Court cases. Um, I don't know that this is what we planned. Uh, when we ended last week's show, we had a couple other things we were going to talk about today, and we're going to push those back at least one more week. But uh, we've got a couple of Supreme Court decisions to talk about today, and then an interesting story uh, on top of that that hopefully we'll have time to get to later. Um, let's go ahead and kick these off. I suppose, uh, I suppose in order here, um, I say that and I guess, I guess I don't know what the order, I do know what the order is. Let's start off with the first one here. Uh, the first one here is June Medical Services, uh, versus Rousseau. Now, I'm just going to read the little blurb from the wiki page and we'll kind of go from there. Uh, both of these are worth talking about. Um, in part because they, they appeal, uh, in different ways to different people. So we'll start with this one. June medical services versus Rousseau was a United States Supreme court case in which the court ruled that a Louisiana state law placing hospital admission requirements on abortion clinics, doctors was unconstitutional. The law mirrored a Texas state law that the court found unconstitutional in 2016 in the Whole Woman's Health versus uh, Hellerstedt. Uh, The Louisiana state law, as the Texas law, would have required doctors performing abortions to have admission privileges at a state-authorized hospital within 30 miles of the abortion clinic. This law would have limited abortions to one single doctor in the state as other doctors had not yet gained admission privileges or were outside of the given range. The Texas law was declared unconstitutional in WWH in 2016 on the basis that limiting clinic availability was an undue burden on women seeking legal abortions, a constitutional right as determined by the landmark ruling Roe v. Wade. Louisiana law, however, has survived its challenge on the appeal to the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, which ruled the law had fundamental differences from the Texas law based on the WWH ruling. On June 29, 2020, the Supreme Court ruled in a 5-4 decision that the Louisiana law was unconstitutional, reversing the Fifth Circuit's decision. Uh, All that's really relevant here is that you had the four liberal justices um, voting, uh, as well as Chief Justice John Roberts uh, voting in the affirmative in the, um, in what ended up being the winning decision here. Uh, Sam, just at first blush, what are your thoughts on, uh, what went down Monday in the Supreme court? Um, really just an affirmation of a few key things that I've said before, but also a, a quick correction. Abortion is not a constitutional right. I know that's not your opinion, but that was just what, uh, um, you were reading off of. Uh, a common misconception is that uh, Roe v. Wade granted the right to abortions. It didn't. It argued that abortions uh, couldn't be uh, outright banned or the like, or that they were protected under the guise of a of the right to privacy, and that uh, denying that put an undue burden on a woman's right to privacy, uh, which is malarkey anyway. Um, 
the court does not grant rights, it does not ensure rights, it does not create laws, but again, judicial activism. And uh, I'm not surprised, ultimately, at what happened, because uh, the Supreme Court, I used to think that one day the courts would strike down Roe v. Wade. I don't think that they will. Uh, this isn't going to shock anyone, but I'm an abolitionist and in, in this regard. And uh, for a long time, the play has been to ignore Roe. It has just been to say we don't care what Roe v. Wade says because Roe v. Wade is not the law. It is the opinion of, of a handful of people that we arbitrarily decided get to interpret law. And so... There's all of that, but um, like I said last week, the Constitution ultimately means what five people say that it means, which is not a power that any person should have anyway, but that's beside the point. But um, these, these keep happening, and Republicans especially, like dyed in the wool, sincere Republicans, they keep being surprised, and then they keep saying, well, if we just vote harder, We'll surely get the result that the, that we want, and I just don't think that they're seriously thinking about how that's not going to play out the way that they want it to. Well, and we saw an example of that with last week's case involving the uh, the sexual discrimination case. Um, at least uh, on the basis of gender identity, uh, most Republicans and most conservatives would have sided with the three dissenting judges, but. Uh, one of their own, if you will, uh, right. in Justice Gorsuch, ended up um, not only voting uh, for uh, the affirmative, for not voting, uh, I guess, well, um, not, a, not only did he uh, side in the affirmative, um, he wrote the opinion of the affirmative side. Right. And, you know, that, that's, that's the thing is it, it's... You know, there's there's a few issues, and I'm with you, Sam. I'm I'm an abolitionist too. Um, I do believe uh, that these laws that Texas and Louisiana have tried to institute um, are a way of functionally trying to get rid of abortion. I mean, when you limit it to where only one doctor in the state uh, can do it, um, you know, obviously that's not completely eradicating it by any stretch, uh, but you are at that point uh, making it functionally impossible uh, for, I, I don't know what percentage of, of abortions uh, would go away at that point, but the number would have to be high, um, at least quote unquote legal abortion. And so when, when I look at that and you know, I see the decision, I, you know, I'm, I'm not terrifically surprised. Um, <clears throat> I think this is something that states, at least red states, if you will, are going to get more and more bold over. Um, you're going to see some more creative ways of trying to, uh, trying to functionally abolish abortion without necessarily completely legally abolishing it. Um, and we'll, we'll sort of see what comes of it, but, you know, it is a warning about the fact that, you know, 
just because even justices that we would want appointed to the court get appointed to the court doesn't mean that um, the decisions they're going to make uh, are going to be ones we would agree with. Uh, Justice John Roberts is considered, he, he's probably considered the most moderate person on the court, but he's still considered uh, more conservative than liberal. Uh, whether or not that's actually correct is a matter of interpretation, I suppose. But uh, he is considered more conservative than liberal. And so, you know, if that's the case, then, you know, what what's it going to take? Um, well, it, it maybe it's going to take working outside of what the court says um, in order to actually get this done. Because this, you know, with, with other issues, you can look at it and go, well, I don't like the decision that they've made, but we can work around it. But not just for you and me, um, as far as our views on it, but for a large number of conservatives, um, for a large number of conservatives, this single issue is enough to keep conservatives from voting uh, for a person who doesn't agree with them on it. Um, you know, single issue voting in a sense. Now, it's not pure in the sense that I'm... I'm going to pick the pro-life candidate over the pro-choice candidate. There's a third option. There's a fourth option, right? Um, you know, uh, I'm not beholden to any candidate, and I'm not uh, I'm not beholden to the two front runners in any given race, not necessarily just for president. But right. um, you know, this is uh, this should be a wake up call, um, and this should be a wake up call maybe to people in. Not not just in, uh, not just in presidential elections as important as those can be, but in uh, local elections as well. Because I, I think a lot of the strides forward uh, that are going to be taken, at least in red states, I, I don't see this happening uh, in more left leaning states. But a lot of the stride, strides that will be taken will be done on the state and local level. Um, that's what tried to happen here. That's what. Uh, Louisiana, Louisiana tried to do here and it got struck down. Um, but at the same time, it took going to the Supreme Court for it to be struck down. Right. Uh, it had to get that far for it to be struck down. Um, and, and that should send a message too that, you know, if, if something gets to the Supreme Court, um, it means there's been sharp disagreement over what's actually right. Uh, it, it's been there's been sharp disagreement over what the correct and constitutional way forward on a given issue is, and so hopefully it's a wake up call more than anything else, um, you know. And so uh, we'll we'll see how this affects things. Um, I guarantee you, uh, this decision will be used in uh, some campaign material, both nationally. Uh, and uh, especially locally in Louisiana, I would imagine. Um, but it'll be used in some campaign ads and, and otherwise material moving forward. Um, and I'll be curious to see if this has any impact on, on races through the end of the year. Um, it is interesting. I'm not sure elsewhere, uh, but yesterday was actually a uh, an election day here in Oklahoma, mostly for local offices, Um as well as some primaries for some, uh, for some Congress seats, uh, and one or two state questions. But, 
I'll be curious to see how it affects elections moving forward because for a lot of people, uh, this is the most significant issue uh, in determining how they're going to vote um, and not getting the result that they would want to get. Not getting the result, frankly, I think that we would want to get on this right. um, is uh, it's going to make an impact for sure. Certainly. And what it also does is throw a little more gas on the fire of the age-old debate of the response to abortion because there are people who I believe are well-intentioned, who are well-meaning and sincere, so I don't want to apply anything negative or bad on their part, but they'll say, well, we're never going to get these laws passed that make abortion illegal. We should instead focus on and passing laws that do that make abortions happen less frequently that do this that uh, improve access to sex education that improve access to this or that or or community things and to that i would say one imagine believing that something is murder and saying that well instead of trying to make murder illegal we should just try to facilitate murder being less frequent, uh, giving people options other than murder, rather than saying, no, we should put our foot down and say, this is murder, murder is unacceptable, and abortion is murder, and I invite anyone that wants to to fight me on that. But um, secondly, we like the realistic thing is, in Florida at least, only a few years ago, the main reason that women were getting abortions was largely just they didn't feel that they were ready for an, a baby. It wasn't medical urgency. It wasn't uh, sexual abuse or anything of that nature. Thank God, because those are terrible things. It was just, I don't want a baby. I don't feel like I can have a baby. And further, resources, organizations like End Abortion Now and Free the States they do those things. They facilitate getting mothers the help that they need to either keep their baby or have their baby adopted into a family. Uh, one uh, fellow that I know of, uh, he's uh, somewhat well-known in the Reformed part of the world, uh, Jeff Durbin. Uh, he's a pastor at Apologia Church in uh, Tempe, Arizona, I believe it is. And he and other members at Apologia are at their abortion mills in the local area every day just preaching and offering to women please don't have your baby murdered we will help you take care of your baby we will we will take care of your baby he even adopted a baby that was supposed to be born with major birth defects specifically to save that baby's life first so all of that secondly i'm not going to negotiate with people who don't want to say murder is murder. So if someone says, well, sure, but you should do this and say, no, I am not going to negotiate with people that want to murder children or anyone else for that matter. A person who advocates for abortion doesn't get to make demands of me or anyone else morally because they're advocating for infanticide and I refuse to treat them like a person I have to take seriously on a moral ground. You know, one of the common refrains that'll come up sort of in that vein is, you know, well, uh, 
you know, what about, you know, what about all these kids who will need to be put up for adoption? You know, are you, are you prepared to take care of all of them and, and sort of synthesize a little bit of what you've been talking about? Um, it is not, I don't have to take in every child that would need to be adopted uh, or need to be otherwise taken care of uh, in order to prove that the alternative is wrong, um, that that murder is wrong, that abortion is wrong. Uh, but like you said, we've got people who are who are doing that, uh, who are who are taking in uh, these kids. Um, you don't get to turn a blind eye to the people who are willing to uh, to adopt children, children that they otherwise uh, are not obliged uh, to care for. Uh, and, you know, we, we've got individuals doing this. Um, even in uh, churches of Christ, we've got close ties to adoption agencies uh, to uh, to match children with uh with not only people who uh at least are willing to care for them but people who are well equipped to do that to you know to where that child or those children uh, will grow up in in loving nurturing caring homes um and that's it's something that you're going i'm sure you've heard that plenty i know i have um i I don't have to. Uh, I don't have to resolve all of the problems that not murdering people might create, uh, in order to justify uh, the stance that murder is wrong. Absolutely, yeah. and and you're much more diplomatic about it than I am, Chris. Uh, uh, people have probably figured out by now. I'm more the firebrand of this uh, this duo. Because if some, I, I, I'm just at the point where if someone says, well, are you going to adopt those kids? I say, I don't have to, because I don't have to take suggestions from someone that wants to kill babies. And, well, and it's about it, but I don't care. They want to kill babies. If, if, if something I'm doing makes a murderer of infants mad, I'm probably doing something right. Right. Um, it, it, it is worth noting though, like you said, <clears throat> with you know these these women by and large coming in because they're they're not prepared to have children you know one of the one of the things that you'll hear uh people on our side of this um spout off is that well if uh you know if they weren't ready to have children they shouldn't have engaged in sexual activity um i I think that's helpful as a preventative measure, but that doesn't actually do anything uh, to help someone who is already in that situation, a woman who is already pregnant. That that doesn't that doesn't help one iota in that situation. Right. Um, yeah. And so it, it is worth considering, at the very least. Um, okay, if 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 we are shutting down murder as the option, which we should shut down murder as an option. Uh, but if we're shutting that down, um, are we are we at least aware that it's going to need to be replaced with something? Um, that doesn't have to be adoption. That can be uh, that can be simply the local congregation, um, you know, helping out as needed. You know, helping that individual 
raise that child, being sure that when you know the baby is born, if the local congregation can, uh, you know, uh, trying to meet maybe some of the financial needs of that woman, um, because oftentimes, you know, uh, poverty and abortion are going to be linked together at least to some extent. Um, that's not to say that the congregation has to do any of that to demonstrate, uh, that abortion is wrong. Like, like you said, you don't, you don't have to negotiate. You don't, you don't have to, uh, uh, you don't have to do anything in particular to demonstrate that murder is wrong. But, um, you do in that moment have an opportunity to show what is right, uh, show, you know, uh, actually show love, the same love that you're expecting uh, of a mother to uh, show an unborn child uh, for the sake of not killing the unborn child um, and maybe, you know, sacrificing something in the process uh, of, of having that child. Um, but there's an opportunity to show uh, the mother there what's what's right and not simply, you know, don't do the bad things, as it were. Right. Uh, and, and then beyond that, you know, I, it, it is something of an uh, evangelistic opportunity. Um, you know, these uh, this is somewhat anecdotal on my part, uh, but uh, many of the stories that you read about and that you uh, that you hear about with regard to abortion and particularly uh, mothers who make the decision uh, who change their mind going from uh, I'm going to have an abortion to I'm not going to have an abortion um, uh, you know, talking about some of the care, uh, that was shown, uh, you know, knowing that other people care about, uh, the decision that she makes and that other people, um, you know, other people want the best for her and her child genuinely. Now, these are all things that, uh, make a difference and, 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 you know, we certainly don't have to do those things to justify not murdering people, but they do make a difference as far as even just on a practical level, um, the, uh, in persuading at least, uh, some of these women and, and I keep saying women, uh, at times men are going to be a part of this decision too, but ultimately it is the, the woman's decision. Um, you know, showing these women that, you know, that there are people who care and, you know, it, it does make a difference, at least in the minds of some of these women, as far as the decision they're going, they're going to make. And even just on a strictly pragmatic level, uh, it's worth it at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And for clarity, because uh, I'm always wor concerned that some will view me as kind of heartless and bereft of compassion. I agree. Uh, Christians, especially, we have a non-negotiable directive to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. And part of that is going to be helping the downtrodden, and the less fortunate and those who are distressed, uh, uh, pleading the cause of the fatherless, the orphan, the widow, the disadvantaged, those who are not in a place where they would like to be. Um, and we can do all of those things. We can and should do all of those things while also striking down what are called iniquitous decrees. That's the old kind of King Jamesy language. And my frustration is with people who settle for 
just the kindness, which is a good and necessary thing, who will say, well, let's just settle for kindness. No, why don't we do both? Uh, we, we can have two voices. We can have, a, we can have a voice with which we call out in compassion to mothers who don't know what they're going to do and who call out and plead, you don't have to kill your baby. We will help you any way that we can. And we also can speak with a voice that runs off the wolves that run and fund these abortion mills and speak bluntly and firmly to them that we will break their teeth in their mouths and that we will see a day where they do not get to murder children anymore. We can have and should have two voices that we speak to this issue with. Yeah, I, you know, it, what doesn't help in this situation is the fact that you've got, and, and this is true with a number of issues, but because of how seriously uh, the average voter takes this particular issue, it's probably most problematic here. You've got politicians on either side of this issue that have zero vested interest whatsoever uh, in what the law actually is and only hold their position for the sake of political gain. Um, that, that is problematic. Um, we've had Republicans running, uh, on an anti-abortion platform now for what it'll be, it, well, it'll be 50 years, uh, in 2023, yep. I guess. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you've had, uh, Democrats running on a pro-choice platform, uh, for about the same amount of time. Um, you know, uh, very much if we don't elect Republicans, then we'll never strike down abortion. And if people don't elect Democrats, then abortion will absolutely be struck down. And the reality is um, there's not been a lot of significant change uh, law-wise, policy-wise, at least on a federal level uh, with regard to abortion um, since Roe v. Wade. Uh, there have been different attempts to do different things on the state level. Uh, but we've had situations where Democrats have controlled um, the executive branch and the legislative branch. Uh, I want to say the first couple of years of the Obama presidency uh, was like that. Um, and then we've had situations where Republicans have controlled everything, namely the first two years of the Trump presidency in addition to uh, many other situations. Um, at a certain point, you realize that at least some, I'm not going to say all, uh, because I, I do believe that there are some politicians who are sincere in their belief either way. Um, but at least some of these politicians are running, uh, with abortion one way or another as a part of their platform, uh, without actually intending to do anything about it. Um, if, if enough politicians, uh, were sincere in their belief, then we would have seen significant change. And it might've swung back and forth. We may have had several policy changes over the past 50 years. Um, but in reality, almost nothing has been done either way. Right. Uh, and that becomes, um, that becomes problematic. Uh, you know, you, you look at that. One of the things I, I appreciate, um, to some extent, I'm not real thrilled about it on a personal level, but I can at least appreciate it on a political level. I believe Joe Jorgensen uh, for the Libertarian Party has actually removed abortion from the pl party platform. Um, it's one of the uh, one of the issues that libertarians are divided about, uh, mm -hmm. basically. 
you know, whose rights are you violating uh, by banning abortions? Uh, and whose rights are you violating by having abortions? Um, and she's basically removed it because of the intensely personal nature of it. Uh, you know, on, on a personal level, I, I would like to see someone who is uh, pro-life, but on a, uh, uh, on a political level, I can at least appreciate the fact that this is someone who, uh, who isn't going to run uh, based off of her position, her particular position on abortion for the sake of political gain, which is something you see countless other politicians uh, all over the political spectrum doing. Um, and so we'll see what comes of this. I'm not, I'm not terrifically optimistic um, that this is going to spark a ton of change either way, because I mean, like, like we've said, we, we, we've seen plenty of opportunities uh, come to nothing over the past nearly 50 years now on this issue, but we'll see. Um, you know, maybe this will be a wake up call. Uh, it, it does. I don't know if it helps that it's in the middle of an election year, but it, it at least is louder because it's during an election year. So that might be something. Right. So we have another case to talk about. Uh, let's talk about, and I'm going to read the Ballotpedia blurb on this. It's like Wikipedia, but for ballots, I guess. Um, so let's see. This, uh, this is much different in tone, I think, because we're not going to have to talk about murder this time. Uh, so that's good. Um, this is Espinoza versus the Montana Department of Revenue. Uh, this case was argued before the Supreme Court of the United States on January 22nd, 2020, during the court's October 2019 through 2020 term. The case uh, came on a writ of certiri... I haven't read that word since high school. Um Certiorari. Certi Certiorari. Certiorari. Lawyers, forgive us. Yeah, uh, to be more fully informed, uh, to the Montana Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court reversed and remanded the Montana Supreme Court's ruling in a 5-4 to four opinion holding the application of Article 10, Section 6 of the Montana Constitution violated the Free Exercise Clause of the U.S. Constitution. The majority held that the application of Article 10, Section 6 was unconstitutional because it barred religious schools and parents who wished to send their children to those schools from receiving public benefits because of the religious nature of the schools. Um the majority in this case was your uh, was your four uh, conservative justices, as well as Chief Justice John Roberts, um, which, you know, again, how conservative he actually is, is a matter of interpretation, I suppose. Uh, I want to read the high, uh, Ballotpedia has a nice breakdown here of the case very quickly. Uh in 2015, a Montana law established tax, a tax credit scholarship program that matched up to $150 a year taxpayer donations to organizations that issued scholarships for, for private school students. 
To ensure compliance with the Montana Constitution, the State Department of Revenue established Rule 1, which barred recipients from using the scholarships at religiously affiliated private schools. Kendra Espinoza, Jerry Anderson, and Jamie Schaefer, the plaintiffs, challenged Rule 1 in the Montana 11th Judicial District Court. The 11th Judicial District granted summary judgment to the plaintiffs, prohibiting the rule's enforcement. On appeal, the Montana Supreme Court reversed the 11th Judicial District's ruling, holding the law violated uh, the state Supreme Constitution's Blaine Amendment. The plaintiffs appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, writing that the Montana Supreme Court's ruling deepened the long-standing split on whether barring religious options from student aid programs violates the federal religion and equal protection clauses. Uh, the issue, does it violate religion clauses or equal protection clause of the United States Constitution to invalidate a generally available and religiously neutral student aid, aid program simply because the program affords students the choice of attending religious schools? Uh, and then we've already read the outcome here. Um, so, Sam, why does this case matter? Because school choice is good. But also because uh, I believe this was a Catholic school that uh, was uh, was kind of the focus of like where this aid wasn't going to go. But uh, school choice, always good. I'm a huge fan of school choice. Uh, I think that uh, uh, you should be able to send your children to the school that you believe is most suitable for them and that there are lots of problems within a lot of school systems regarding that, but I don't want to get into all of that just yet. But also, as far as the religious nature of it, um, it's good because, uh, or at least it could potentially be good, because this uh, ensures that religious schools will be able to continue operating. Uh, running this sort of thing can get very expensive very quickly, and parents send their kids to these schools because they want to and because they feel that they can afford to. Being able to get these scholarships enables them to get their kids out of a system that they feel is unsatisfactory and into a system that they feel a lot better about. And on the whole, it also encourages competition. If you have a mass exodus from the public schools, uh, that district has to figure out why your parents leave. What can we do to get parents to come back? What can we do to get parents to reconsider? And so they have to actually take steps to improve. So uh, I look at this and I think this is great because I love school choice. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I, I'm very much in favor of it too. I'm curious to see what the broad application of this uh, will end up being. Because uh, this is uh, this is basically the Supreme Court going in and telling the state of Montana no, right? Um, you know, this is very much uh, you know the Supreme Court going in and um, forcing Montana to change their their laws on the basis of really religious discrimination. Uh, I don't know that the defendants would put it like that, um, but that's ultimately what it comes down to. Uh, and, and to be clear, uh, they were attempting wholesale religious discrimination. It's, it's on the basis of it being a religious school, not on the basis of it being a particular religious school. Um, but at the same time, uh, that should be, and ultimately I think that is what, what allows it. Um, now, 
the application of this law is going to be problematic to some in that uh, if this is applied across the board, then school choice is going to uh, going to allow for, you know, people to choose schools that have a different theology than I do, that have a different worldview than I do. And apparently too allow uh, 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 what is it? Tax donations or, or uh, like a match program, right. uh, you know, to go towards schools. Uh, that I would not necessarily agree with, and I would not necessarily want my tax dollars going to if I had say in it. Um, but at the same time, uh, at some point you have to you have to sort of give somewhere unless you want to be in a theocracy. Uh, and this is the line I would rather have than you know we're not going to allow any money to go to any religious school of any kind. I'd rather have it be, um, you know if you're going to a private school, then you'll get this credit. Uh, and it doesn't matter what the nature of the school is provided that, you know, it's an actual school, uh, as opposed to, you know, something operating simply under the guise of being a school. I, I, I do worry about a little bit of abuse there, uh, right, right. but, but outside of that particular issue, um, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty happy, um, with how this ends up, uh, shaking out. I am curious to see, uh, what this will look like large scale. Uh, cause I, I'm not aware of every state's approach to this. Uh, I would imagine Montana is not the only state that has a clause like this, uh, in its constitution. Right. Uh, and, uh, I'll be curious to see, of course, both of us went to, uh, the same Christian college, uh, and know people who have gone to other Christian colleges. Um, and when you're going to a private school at any level, uh, there's a premium there. Um, you know, in our case, or at least in my case, uh, that premium was uh, funded by the government, and, and they expect their uh, uh, they expect to be repaid with interest, of course. Um, but you know, I'll, I'll be curious to see if this has an impact on what colleges are able to do, uh, what financial aid looks like for uh, for individuals attending uh, attending universities. Uh, this may open up an opportunity for states, uh, to help, um, at least passively help, uh, kids go to, uh, Christian colleges. Um, and they're going to be people who absolutely hate this. Uh, I think both of us know a few people, uh, that once they read this decision, uh, they're going to, they're going to go nuts on social media about it. Um, but I think ultimately I'm it's, probably it's, friends with these people, that? so I'll be fair. What's that? I said I'm not friends with those people, more likely. Well, not I'm not friends with those people, most likely, but uh, I'll probably be spared, and it'll be okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's something where I, I'm, I'm very okay uh, with this decision. Uh, obviously, there's the potential for abuse, but you sort of accept that uh, anytime you do have any sort of mingling of church and state. Um, you know, what, what you have here uh, is if you can match some legal definition of being a school uh, rather than just being a religious operation, if you can prove that you're actually a school, I'm, I'm perfectly fine uh, with state funding going there. Uh, I'm generally fine with school choice. Um, I don't necessarily... Uh, want some of the more extreme measures taken to it uh, that 
um, Secretary DeVos has talked about. Uh, granted, I'm extremely biased in this regard to being married to a kindergarten teacher. Um, you know, uh, but at the same time, you know, our education system in most areas, at least not, not everywhere. Some areas of the country uh, have a fairly robust education system, even at the public level, but most areas of the country don't have that. Uh, most areas of the country could stand to have some pretty significant reforms when it comes to public education. Um, of course, you know, some people, and I'll, I'll let you speak for yourself here, may take umbrage with the issue of there being public education at all. Uh, you are correct that uh, we are probably different. Uh, I, have, uh, I have no such bias of being married to a public school teacher. Well, primarily, number one, with a bullet because I'm not married. And uh, generally, the kind of people that uh, can be kindergarten teachers probably would find my personality rather grating. Because all the kindergarten teachers I know are very saccharine, and I don't mean that as an insult. They're just very sweet people, and I am a, I am just a pillar of salt in comparison. But um, for clarity, like I am in favor of the gradual abolition of public school systems. I'm not like a light switch abolitionist on anything. Like as in, I'm not just in favor of flipping a switch and waking up tomorrow and everything being gone. Uh, because I don't want the world to be thrown into chaos. I just want the world to be free. And so I want incrementalism. But for me at the moment, I would vastly prefer either a voucher system or a tax credit kind of system. Whereas instead of taking money out of your, out of your paycheck, out of someone's payroll, that sort of thing, and having part of that go towards... Uh, funding schools or levying a property tax or something like that, having a tax credit that basically says, here is a set amount every year that you can spend that goes towards putting your kid in the school of your choice. If you send them to a public school district, great. If you send them to a private school, great. Charter school, great. If you choose to use that money to homeschool your children, great or to even privately hire a tutor. Okay, just, I, I like having those choices and having the tax dollars stick with parents to use on their children rather than being sent directly to schools. And the analogy that I really like is if, like, just for instance, uh, with, with welfare, like EBT programs, um, and like supplemental income programs, uh, it we would be weirded out if a person could only use their EBT card at Walmart, and they couldn't use it at a local grocery store or at uh, other places that legitimately sell groceries. And we can say, okay, fine, you can't spend your EBT money on alcohol or things like that. And that's fine. But those people should be free to choose where they spend those dollars uh, if they are spending them legitimately. And so in the same way, I think it would be better to just put the money in the hands of parents and say, okay, here's the cash. Maybe not just directly hand them cash money, obviously, but here is the money get your kid in school in some way or another because your children 
at a bare minimum need to be able to function in the world and an education is the best way to help them to do that. Yeah. I, uh, so I'm of a couple of minds. Um, on the one hand, I, I am, I'm a hundred percent on board, uh, with that particular approach, but with, at the same time, strictly with funding, um, I'm very much of the opinion that if the government is going to be in, in the education business, they need to be wholesale in the education business. The problem, uh, the problem with public education right now is not strictly uh, that the government is involved. Uh, it's it's that, frankly, in many areas in the country, and particularly poignant here, um, over the uh, in in the state of Oklahoma, is, is that education is just completely underfunded. Um, you know, it, it's something where. Here, I mean, we've got families with two teachers, uh, several families, I I say several, we're probably talking thousands of families in Oklahoma, uh, where husband's a teacher, wife is a teacher, and if they have kids, then both spouses are probably having to work a second job on top of teaching full-time just to make ends meet. Um, you know, teacher salaries out here are not great. Um, money that goes towards uh, books and supplies uh, and facilities, by and large, there are some exceptions, but by and large are not great. And the exceptions are more individualized in nature, in nature because uh, cities and uh, communities uh, are allowed to, like, you know, instill bonds and different things like that in order to raise money for the schools. Um you know, I, of course, property taxes are also directly tied to uh, the schools uh, in the sense that if uh, if there's more money uh, in the uh, neighborhoods uh, that attend your school, then there's going to be more money in your school, as it were. Um, uh, it's also worth noting out here in Oklahoma that by and large, the school system is uh, more town and city in nature and less county in nature. I realize that's uh, it's different from a lot of uh, southeastern states in particular, where uh, it's almost always uh, county-based rather than city and town-based, and that uh, independent school districts are typically city-based. Uh, but those are the exceptions, not the rules. Uh, not the rule, rather. Um, but that that's the thing. I, I, I feel very similarly, by the way, uh, just kind of as a tangent, with regard to uh, to healthcare, uh, with regard to health insurance, uh, that I don't really want the state involved, but if the state is going to be involved, it, it had better be very, very involved as opposed to just, oh, we're taking it over and we're not going to fund it. Um, because at that point, you know, I, I mean, you look at it right now with regard to schools, um, you know, if, if you're not, uh, if you if you don't have a particularly high income, because private school is expensive, um, you know, at, at virtually every level, uh, the, you know, we're not just talking maybe a couple hundred dollars a month to send your kid to like private high school. Um, there's a private high school in Atlanta that my parents looked at sending me to at one point, and then they decided against it because it was going to be, I think, over a thousand dollars a month for me to go there at what? minimum. It would have been. Actually, it would have been almost as much uh, to go there as it was to go to Freed Ardman. Uh, but, you know, 
when there's a free alternative right down the street, you're generally going to pick the free alternative um, if money is an issue at all, which for most people it is. Uh, but that's the thing is if you're in a if you're in a lower income family, your your options are basically um, either you are going to attend the local public school or uh, homeschool. And homeschooling is not an option for everyone just by the nature of, you know, all the adults in the household may have to work during the day. Uh, and so it's something where if the government's going to be involved, it has to, it has to commit. Uh, and one of the, one of the things that comes out of, uh, partisanship with regard to these issues is that the government gets involved in a very lukewarm way. Um, it gets involved in a lukewarm way. And so you'll see teacher budgets, uh, slashed, you'll see salaries slashed, you'll see, uh, classroom sizes, um, increase, but you'll also still see uh, a ton of funding going to the schools. It just doesn't look like there's a ton of funding. I mean, you, you know, you may still have millions and even billions of dollars spent on education, but when you slash the budget 50%, it's that, that effect's going to show up in the schools too. Um, you know, it, it, it's something where in 2018, I think it was, might have been 2017, is an, uh, is an election year. I think it was 2018. I forget exactly. Um, there was something of a reckoning. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but there was something of a reckoning uh, with, regard to, uh, with regard to teachers um, being so fed up. There was a walkout one year. Uh, it was a walkout. I want to say it was, uh, in fact, I know it was uh, early 2018 because that's when that's when I graduated with my MDiv, and that's also when we had Shepard. And Kelsey ended up, we, we had to talk about whether or not Kelsey would participate in the walkout, and it ended up not mattering because uh, we had Shepard, and she was just on maternity the entire time the walkout was going on. And so it was very convenient to not have to actually make a decision whether or not she's going to go down and protest at the Capitol. Right. Uh, but, you know, one of the issues that came out was, okay, teachers aren't being paid enough. Um, and so they went down, they protested at the Capitol. It wasn't a strike. Most local school districts, uh, their superintendents just went ahead and closed school, uh, for as much as two weeks, uh, because teachers in Oklahoma aren't allowed to strike. If they strike, they get fired. Um, but you know, if there's no school to be had, then teachers can go down and protest. And one of the things that you saw were, uh, were some Republican, uh, in particular, members of the state legislature, uh, not handle it well and blame teachers, uh, which if you want to nearly guarantee that you're not going to be reelected uh, later that year, blame teachers uh, for the fact that the education system is bad. Try that. <laughs> uh, and sure enough, a few teachers came out of that walkout deciding that they were going to run uh, for office, and a few of them won and took seats uh, from a few members of the legislature who had held on to those seats long term but lost them over how badly they handled things. Teachers also got uh, a significant raise, not enough, but a significant raise uh, as a result of the walkout, and so it was effective to some extent. 
but but that's the thing is if you've if you've got if you've got the government as your employer um they're going to drag their feet on things um your uh raises and your funding is going to be held hostage because of issues that are totally independent of education um and it's something where I, like I said, I'm of two minds about it. Uh, I, I would strongly prefer uh, that the government be completely out of it, but at the same time, I, I'm a little bit more pragmatic. I think in that uh, I don't think the government is ever going to get out of it, uh, and so I would rather, um, I would almost rather push for uh, the government to properly fund uh, the schools that it needs to fund, uh, while also you know, being okay with the idea of school choice that, um, you get something of a rebate, uh, you get something of a credit, uh, if you decide to go to a private school, it might not be worth the full value, uh, of what your child would be getting out of a public school. But, you know, uh, at the same time, you, you at least have that decision and you've got some of that value. Um, I, I can appreciate the fact that, uh, you know, you're not going to get, a person's not going to get, say it's a classroom of 20, they're not going to get one twentieth of my wife's salary as a tax credit in order to attend the school of their choice. So Right, and can I, can I respectfully push back on uh, just one key thing? Sure. All right. Um, we're, uh, we're of very different opinions as far as funding goes. Uh, spending, uh, just, uh, I, and this is not just something I pulled up, uh, out of thin air, but, uh, I, I kind of follow a couple of different things, but a reason published a, a summary of, uh, find of a study from the Cato Institute. And, you know, some people are going to dismiss it because they're from a particular ideology, but this was in, uh, let me double check the date, November 2018. And uh, they actually found that the correlation between higher spending and student performance, that's a key thing, is pretty well, the correlation is very difficult to map out because you have, for instance, Wyoming that uh, in 2018, uh, per student adjusted for cost of living, spent $17,000 per student. Uh, again, that's Wyoming. And then you have uh, Virginia, uh, which on average spent $11,000 per student outpacing them. Uh, that's one example. Uh, you have uh, California, which spends $7,000 per student roughly, doing better than Alabama that spends $9,000 per, um, per student. Again, adjusted for cost of living, that sort of thing. My and I'm pointing that out not to say that we should just bottom out education spending. Everything I've ever seen seems to indicate that it's less that we're not spending enough and more that it's a question of where it's going. Uh, I, th I think we can both agree, like even in private uh, schools that there were positions held by people that we just kind of wondered, like, what on earth is this person even doing here? Why does this person have a job? Why are we giving this school money to keep this person employed? That sort of thing. Or 
certain or you can compare differences in salaries and think, you know, this person is earning way out of proportion with this other person. And that sort of cost adds up very quickly. So to me, at least when someone says we should spend more or we should increase spending, I'm always skeptical because I want to actually see that it will go towards things that will actually increase student performance because the whole point of a school, at least ideally, is to produce results in children, as in children are learning. And to me, at least, the evidence is mixed as best and at worst says that you hit diminishing returns really quickly unless you are very careful and specific about where money goes. Right. Well, and I, I agree with you, at least in part. Um you know, anytime, anytime the government is spending money anywhere, we need to we need to scrutinize how it spends that money uh, pretty severely. Um, you know, it's it's worth investigating where that money goes. Um, you know, Oklahoma City public schools actually just closed down uh, four or five different elementary schools, uh, different at least schools. I think they were all elementary schools because uh, the fewer schools you have. Um, the the cheaper your district becomes because uh you even if you have the same number of teachers you don't have as much administration uh and and that's kind of where your bigger salaries uh in education are going to be um not saying that we want all administrators to lose their jobs of course uh but at the same time uh you know there's there's something to be said about using that money as efficiently as possible. And I'm with you on diminishing returns too. Uh, you know, if we, if we increase the education budget 50%, are we going to get, uh, you know, a 50% better rate of return, if you will, on that investment? Um, may, maybe not. Uh, in fact, probably not. Like you said, um, I'm more concerned about the fact that uh, we're not hitting uh, at least in some areas a sort of bare minimum baseline uh, as far as money is concerned. Um, I'm particularly uh, pointed about teacher salaries in part because I am extremely biased about this issue. Uh, and as far as, as far as non-spiritual issues are concerned, I might be as biased about this topic as, as I am about any topic we're going to talk about. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, if you look at the requirements to be a teacher, uh, and given that it's a four-year degree and that if it's not in education, they're going to require grad work on top of whatever four-year degree you have, you, you can become a teacher in Oklahoma, um, uh, without having a degree in education, but you better be prepared to take at least 12 hours of grad work, uh, in addition, uh, to whatever four-year degree you had, um, you know, and on top of that, uh, you know, look, uh, you know, all the other sort of ancillary training requirements that come with being a teacher, I'm not saying that it's, uh, I'm not saying that it's any more or less difficult than any full-time job that requires a four-year degree. What I am saying is that it doesn't pay, uh, quite like any job that requires a four-year degree. In fact, it might be one of the very worst paying jobs in the country that requires a four-year degree. Uh, part of that uh, is being tied to state governments in particular. And, you know, again, that may be a reason to privatize them. But part of that is also uh, just the fact that I, I think there is um, there is a disconnect 
between the people who actually set the salaries of educators. That is, that's state legislatures, right? Um, you know, they're the ones that have to pass the state budget. Uh, and there's a disconnect generally between them and the people who they're responsible for uh, setting their salaries. Um, and I'm not exactly sure what the disconnect is, but it's there because you don't, you, you would not expect a four-year degree uh, being required for a job um, to pay, uh, you know, less than, you know, $50,000, but your starting salary in Oklahoma, uh, you're, you're not getting 50. Uh, in fact, it's going to take you a while, uh, to get to 50, uh, in Oklahoma, as far as, uh, as far as salaries for teachers. Um, but you still got to have that four-year degree. And like I said, if you, uh, uh, if you're planning on, going into education without a degree in education, you better be prepared to do some grad work on top of that. Now I say some grad work, they're not going to make you finish a master's or anything like that. Um, but the, the requirements that many States, it's not just Oklahoma, but the requirements that many States have for their educators don't line up with the compensation. Um, and this is a case where we might traditionally say, and in almost every other field, we might say, well, the marketplace, you know, sets the price here, except that for education, there's not really a marketplace. Um, you know, you've got public schools, which, you know, even even the principals and even most administrators in the schools have virtually zero say on uh, what their teachers are going to be making, um, which there there are some good things about that, uh, to, to be clear. Uh, it it, it makes it to where uh, there's zero chance at discrimination on anything other than on anything other than resume when it comes to pay that that's a good thing um, but that might be the only good thing uh, that comes out of that uh, you know administrators don't get to set the pay scale of their uh, of their employees if you will uh, and you end up just with a handful of private schools and most of those are underfunded too, but that's just because they don't have nearly as many kids going to them. I mean, you know, one of the common misconceptions about private schools is that, you know, everyone who's working there is, you know, is doing a lot better off uh, than their public school counterparts. So that, that is frankly not true. It's not true at the, uh, it's not true at the uh, secondary school level. Um, and it's certainly not true at the university level. Uh, you know, I think we could tell you, I didn't, I, I'm not going to divulge specifics, uh, but our professors at Freed Hardeman aren't exactly, uh, they weren't exactly making a killing while we were there. Right. Um, and it's likewise at most, uh, private schools as well. Of course there are exceptions, uh, but there are exceptions, right? They're, they're not the rule there. And so you don't have a marketplace. Um, you don't have a marketplace to determine what teachers should actually be making. And so at that point, you know, the government, uh, I don't like talking about a livable wage, a government enforced livable wage is, you know, when that discussion turns to uh, minimum wage, I, I sort of roll my eyes a little bit uh, just because, you know, we, we both understand, I think how inflation works, 
but if the government is responsible for directly paying people uh, and saying that this is a full-time job and here's what it requires, the compensation had better match uh, the requirements and demands of the job. Uh, And and I think most teachers in most states would tell you that it doesn't. Uh, And so all of this is a roundabout way of saying that school choice is uh, is a good thing um, and that these this uh, this Supreme Court decision is a good thing because you know like you said um, if if students start attending elsewhere and it makes the government uh, reconsider what it's doing and what it needs to improve um, it'll have to reconsider everything including uh, the teachers that it draws in because if these private schools get more students then they're able to offer uh, higher salaries to teachers. And if they're offering higher salaries, then more teachers uh, will be attracted to their school and attracted away from the public school system. We've got, we've got teachers who have left the school system in Oklahoma um, and moved to Texas or moved to just across the Oklahoma-Texas border for the purpose of working in Texas because of significant raises down there. It's a very real issue out here. Uh, and it's one that you know, you could see this particular Supreme Court case uh, sort of instigate, uh, you know, this this particular issue of, you know, uh, school competition, if you will. And so I, I, I'm curious to see how it's going to go. Um, anything else on that front? I, uh, I don't know uh, that I'm going to have time to today talk about what I wanted to talk about. In addition to that, I would be okay with recording another one of these within a day or two if, if you're good with that. I think we can make that work. Yeah. So if we do that, um, I'll have to figure out if tomorrow or Friday works best, but uh, we could potentially release something on like Monday or Tuesday of next week because uh, this is this Christian Chronicle issue is not going to be something that goes away. Right. Um, and so, uh, anything else on either of those two Supreme Court cases you can think of? No, I think we pretty well got it. Yep. Well, that's uh. If I say this. I'm gonna hopefully, hopefully they'll. Uh, I think Kelsey's supposed to get another raise this year, so hopefully that'll happen. So, <laughs> makes me. It uh. Yeah, I'm. I'm very. One of the reasons I get kind of animated over that discussion is I've heard uh, both administrators and uh, and um, and state representatives refer to my wife's job as babysitting more than anything else, um, which, you know, babysitters don't require four-year degrees. In fact, they don't even require a high school diploma generally. Yeah. So I, I get, I get. I get frustrated, but I also poke fun at Kelsey because uh, she, uh, you know, she and virtually everyone in her family other than Logan uh, have worked for the government their entire lives, and I've never held a government job. So she doesn't like it when I poke fun at her about that, though. Just just stop working for the government, then. Just... Well, you know, it's something where there's a there's a private Christian school uh, overseen by the Edmund Church of Christ in the area that 
you know, if they if they ever offered her a position, we would uh, she would probably consider it, in part because uh, in part because you know I think it'd be an interesting environment for her to work in, and also in part because uh, both of our boys would actually um, would actually get free tuition there because you get a fifty percent discount if uh, if a parent works there and you get another 50% discount if, uh, uh, if a parent is a preacher within churches of Christ. And, and those are, and you can take both uh, of those. Yes. It, 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 and those stack to become a 100% discount, not a 75%. Okay. Not yeah. bad. Uh, uh, Jeremy Beller, uh, the guy in the Christian Chronicle article, um, uh, we took him to lunch when he guest spoke out here like a week before the coronavirus pandemic hit. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, he, he's in that exact situation. Uh, he preaches for the Wilshire Boulevard congregation and his wife is a, uh, I think like a fourth grade teacher uh, at the local Christian school. And uh, you know, they, she makes probably a little bit less than she would. Um, in the public school system, but, uh, you know, her kids are being educated in a Christian environment and are in the same building as her. Right. So it's, uh, it's, it's something where if, if they ever had, if they ever showed interest in Kelsey, we, we would probably strongly consider it. It wouldn't affect, you know, where we live or anything like that because, you know, you're not going to have public transportation to the school anyway. And you've got people driving in from an hour plus to attend this school. I mean, it's, it's, it, Oklahoma is not like the South where you've got just a ton of Christian schools, especially schools tied to churches of Christ um, in the area. Uh, you know, there's uh, in the Shoals area in Alabama, they're just everywhere. Um, but, uh, out here there's like one or two and uh and so for the people that go there they're willing to drive pretty far to attend so thank you for listening to the deep in the tank podcast we'll see you next time Mm -hmm.